Hi there. Again, welcome to Journey Church, especially if you're a guest, maybe here for the very first time. We're delighted to worship God with you, and I sincerely hope you had a fantastic and worshipful Christmas, celebrating the birth, the arrival of the Savior of the world. And I know we did this on Christmas Eve, but I just want to say it again because it was so spectacular to the crew that did such a tremendous job with our Christmas Eve services around here. Way to go, and thank you, and it was terrific. Lots and lots of hours, like thousands of hours went into that thing. And a hilarious thing, like, th- like this is church work. Uh, Brandon came into my office this week and he goes, uh, all right, I'm already working on next Christmas Eve, you know? So like, you know, no grass growing underneath that guy, especially. I wanted to tell you that next weekend we begin uh, what we think is going to be a very fun series called Finding Faith in the Movies. And it's kind of a spin-off of our ever-popular Finding Faith in Rock and Roll series from last year. And this is a four-week message run picking up on biblical lessons of faith from movies that you might not consider to be sources of lessons of faith. We'll start this series off just to make our heads spin a wee bit with the film 300 and lessons of faith out of the film 300. And I just want to make this real clear, just so that we're all on the same page. Our use of any of these films is not in any way our patent endorsement on the entirety of each of these films. Okay? As with everything that we take in through our eye gate, I recommend discretion and such. And uh, please don't go like, oh, cool, Brian's preaching on this movie. It must be clean and safe for everyone to watch. Go to Blockbuster, rent it, and just, like, show it to your five-year-old, okay? That's not going to be very appropriate. You will not have to have seen these movies to get the point that they make about faith. We'll do a great job on the side screen showing you clips from those films. It'll do just that. We're excited about this message run. It's going to be fun. And I'd even use the word uh, provocative, maybe, and challenging for us. And I'd invite you to think about how you might be able to use this series, Finding Faith in the Movies, as next steps with some people in your world who are far from God, those next steps that we talked about through that I Go series, helping people take steps towards the line of faith in Jesus Christ. This might be a tool in your belt to that end. So we'll run three weeks. We'll kick it off with 300. We'll go three weeks in this series. Uh, What would be the fourth week, we're going to uh, do the Harvest Journey Church Swap and so Vern and the band from Harvest are going to come, one of the bands from Harvest is going to come over here. Vern's going to preach and their band is going to lead while I take Brandon and our band and such. And we'll go over there to our Mama Church Harvest in Billings and I'll preach and our band will lead over there. So that'll be a whole bunch of fun. The last weekend in January is the swap and then we'll come back the first weekend in February and finish up that Finding Faith in the Movies series. Cool stuff coming up in January and February. And this is a very interesting time of the year, isn't it? This little kind of tweener season between Christmas and New Year's. Most of us, if we're honest, are thinking about stuff that we don't always take time through the rest of the year to think about. Stuff that like we want to change in the new year, right? Stuff that we want to add to our lives in the new year. Stuff that we want to subtract from our lives in the new year and such. It makes for this real like introspective time of the year. I have no idea who it was who first said it, but for most of us, the quote, this quote, a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other, captures so very well the whole New Year's resolution thing, right? Like, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this, but then it just like goes in one year and out the other. It's just how they go most of the time. And lots of us have just chosen to cast off entirely the whole 
resolution thing as we come up to the flipping of the calendar from one year to the other. But even when we don't do the resolution thing because we know how they so often go, we have a lot to think about. Even if it isn't necessarily in that realm of resolution and stake in the ground. Like some of us right now, in this little tweener season between Christmas and the flipping of the calendar in a couple of days, we're thinking about like the financial component of our world, right? As we step into the new year, we're thinking about saving more and spending less. Some of us are thinking about fun stuff like how many new years left until I can retire, right? Those sorts of thoughts. Some of us, as we get ready to flip the calendar, we're thinking about the physical component of our lives in the new year. Stuff like taking in less fat, exercising more, eating less sugar, eating more natural foods, etc., etc. You know, in the next couple of weeks, health club memberships, they're going to increase exponentially. Locker rooms at those health clubs are going to fill up. Lines will form for many of the exercise classes as well as at the most sought-after machines in those health clubs. But a strange thing will happen within the next 30 days. By like early February, much of that new traffic in those health clubs will have dissipated. Right? I heard about a woman who went into a health club uh, real early in the year. She said real sheepishly to this trainer who was helping her get her exercise thing going. Right at the beginning of January, she said to the trainer, I know you haven't seen me for a long time. And it's because every single year I decide in January I'm going to work out regularly and faithfully all year. I get a membership at this same health club every year. I pay for the whole year in advance. I work out for a couple of weeks early in the year. And then I just give up for the rest of the year. And she said to this trainer, you probably have a word for people like me. And the trainer just looked at her and said, well, yes, we do. The word is profit. (laughs) That's just the way it goes, isn't it? Some of us are thinking about the professional component of our lives as we step into a new year. Maybe some of us run and own our own businesses, increase sales is on our radar screen, decreasing expenses, adding staff, personnel, innovating a solution to some challenge that's presented itself. We're thinking about the professional component. Some of us are thinking about the marriage and family component of our world in the new year. More date nights, right? Like just the two of us. More prayer time as a couple, just the two of us. More family adventures together. A less hectic schedule that would permit us to eat more dinners across the table from each other. Eating dinner together, stuff like that, the marriage and family component. We think about an awful lot of the moving pieces of our lives as we come up on a new year. We just do. And whether we're into the resolution thing or not, it's just natural to think about all that stuff. But what I want to talk about today is the God component of our life in the midst of all of that. And the truth, see, that when we're living out a well-ordered spiritual life, if we're spiritually focused and centered on God, it's an interesting thing, but the rest of the pieces of our lives, all of those other categories, all those other components that I just talked about, the financial and the physical and the professional, the marriage and family, when we're focused on God, all that stuff has a funny way of just working and like working really, really well doesn't it? But so often it just goes for us that we relegate God to just another like box on the shelf that makes up our life. 
Our lives become quite compartmentalized and we have our marriage and family box and our work box and our free time and recreation box, our financial empire box. We have our friends box. We have all these boxes and we give attention to them one by one as the need arises, see. But God did not send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live as a human being, to die the most cruel death imaginable, death on a cross as payment for my sin and for your sin, for the sins of all of humanity, and offer us his amazing gift of eternal life and intimate relationship with the God of the universe just to be relegated to one of a dozen or so boxes on the shelf that makes up our life. A gift, see, on the magnitude of what God did for us is a gift that reaches out and touches every single part of our being. It doesn't just occupy this tiny bit of space or it shouldn't just occupy this tiny bit of space in one corner of our lives. And so here's what that means for us as we come up on the end of one year the beginning of a new one, while we're so busy thinking about all these components, the moving pieces of our lives, the changes that we want to see taking place in those, the financial component and the physical component, the professional component, the marriage and family component, all those things that compose who we are. I'm telling you the truth that when we give effort and when we make space for the God component of our lives, there is a ripple effect outward into the rest of the components of our world, see. Because God speaks to and gives very clear direction to the financial piece of our lives. God speaks to and gives direction to the physical piece of our lives. God speaks to and gives direction to even the professional component of our lives. God speaks to and gives direction definitely to the marriage and family piece of our lives. He touches and he impacts and he has a plan, see, for every part of our being, God does. Which means that the very most important space that we could create in our lives as we step into this new year, the most important space, the most important component of our lives to think about and to give energy to is the God component of our lives to work on and to give energy and to pay very close attention to those other pieces of our lives and to neglect the God piece is really to go at all of this quite backwards. To just work on all this stuff out here, all the externals without determining God's role in all of that stuff is like trying to put together those crazy kids' toys at Christmas time without reading the directions, right? I sat on Tuesday and I watched my brother-in-law, his name's Derek, and he was working on putting together some toy that somebody had given to one of our kids for Christmas. And, and these toys these days, they're, they're just terrible, like the wire, you know, like how many, how, why do you have to wire the stuff to the cardboard? Like, come on, just put it in the box, a wire, you know, stop with the wire, right? And I was watching him put together one of these toys for one of our kids. And, and it takes time, too. That's the other piece. I think they build cars on assembly lines faster than you can put together, like cars that you can really drive down the highway at like 80 miles an hour and such. I think you can, they put those together faster than we can put these crazy toys together. And he got to the end of putting this, whatever toy it was, only to find out that somebody else who started putting the thing together, I'm not going to mention any names about who that might have been, the person who started putting that toy together 
did not follow the directions. They were just like putting pieces on because it seemed logical that this went here. And so he got to the very end of this whole project and there were these four very important pieces of this toy left laying in the bag, in a little plastic bag that they all come in, right? And so he's looking. He starts at the back of the instruction manual and he starts to flip towards the front, flipping, 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 flipping. No, not there. And he got all the way back like to step number two, and sees that those four pieces were supposed to have been put in in step two, which means he just about had to tear the whole thing apart to put those into the right place. Bummer. I laughed. <laughs> Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 speaks to the God component of our lives, its centrality in our lives. One day he was teaching and he said these words, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And see, Jesus' concern for us as we step into a new year, as we flip the calendar over, is that we become what we call formed people. That we become formed people, formed in the image of Jesus Christ himself. And we become formed people as we give God the time and the space it takes to develop our character into the very same character that marked the life of Jesus Christ himself. Just like a house that is built on very solid rock, bedrock, the text calls it. Back in the fall of 1992, Michael Plant, he was a very popular American yachtsman. He began a solo crossing of the North Atlantic from the U.S. to France. But two weeks into that voyage, something went wrong. As Plant had prepared to sail for this trip, his friends and family, they gathered that day at the dock for a very enthusiastic farewell. None of them had any concern whatsoever, any anxiety about Plant's trip. They were waving goodbye, after all, to an expert, one who had sailed solo around the globe more than one time. And the entire sailing community knew that Michael Plant, as a yachtsman, he was, had sailing skills without equal. And Plant's mid-sized sailboat was called the Coyote. And it was, as they say, state-of-the-art, complete with all of the creature comforts. He had just purchased, back in 1992, a brand-new emergency position indicating radio beacon that was capable of transmitting a message to a satellite in the event of any difficulties. Just four short signals was all it took for ground stations to be able to determine his exact, precise location and send help. One could say that Mr. Plant had everything going for him. He had the best expertise, he had the best experience, he had the very best equipment as he set out for this voyage to Europe. That explains then the prevailing assumption of Plant and all of his friends, nothing could go wrong. Nothing could go wrong, but something did go wrong. Just 11 days into the voyage, radio contact with Plant was lost. And at first, that radio silence, it didn't raise much alarm. It was widely known that 
storms, violent storms in the North Atlantic that time of year often caused a man sailing solo this preoccupation with battling the weather round the clock, leaving very little time for him to establish radio contact with his home base. But when plants and the coyotes' radio silence persisted for several days on end, the confidence of plants' friends and family diminished. And that confidence was quickly replaced with worry. That kind of silence was much out of character, even for plant. And so they launched a search. And the shocking news came. News that absolutely no one would have expected. The coyote had been found. No sign of plant anywhere. And everyone in the sailing community was even more shocked at the fact that when the coyote was found, it was upside down in the water. See, sailboats, it is said, normally do not capsize. Sailboats are built to take the most vigorous pounding that the sea can offer. Sailors agree that the sailboat is the most natural of all sailing vessels. They will almost always right themselves, even if a giant wind or a giant wave were to momentarily push it over or even flip it upside down. So how was it that Michael Plant's sailboat was discovered floating in the Atlantic Ocean upside down? The answer soon became very, very clear. You see, when the coyote was built, an 8,000 pound, that's a four-ton weight, was bolted to the bottom of the boat as ballast. And that kind of weight, 8,000 pounds below the waterline, assured stability. See, if the coyote, though, were to lose that ratio-permitting weight, if there was more weight above the waterline than below the waterline, even then a small wave, a not very strong wind would capsize the vessel. And here's the mystery. No one knows why, no one knows how, but when the coyote was found, that 8,000 pound weight that was supposed to be beneath the waterline of that boat was gone. Very simply, missing. That meant that there was absolutely no weight below the waterline to ensure the coyote's stability. The result? A very capable, very experienced, much admired sailor man was lost at sea. Never to be found. And that story has implications, heavy implications, no pun intended, for our spiritual growth and our development as we work to become formed people, formed in the mold of Jesus Christ himself. Because see, all the things that we do as followers of Jesus, we don't just do them to fulfill religious obligations. We don't just pray to say that we prayed or to fulfill some religious duty. We don't merely read and study our Bibles to just check off some religious to-do list. We aren't in accountable relationships with other Christ followers just because it's cool, the cool thing to do. We don't fast from food and other things just because of the health benefits. We don't sit and listen for the voice of God to speak to us just like for another way to pass the time, right? We don't attend church just because it's what we do on Saturday or it's what we do on Sunday. We don't attend church just to say that we did it. The reason that we do all of those things, the reason we do all those things and more, things commonly referred to as spiritual disciplines, is because as we do them, it's like God bolts on a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more ballast to the bottom of our sailboats. More weight, below the waterline than above the waterline sea. 
so that when the storms come, and oh man, do the storms ever come, right? You know the storms. So that when the storms come, our lives and our souls stay right side up. That's why we do those things. Our lives and our souls stay right side up. Becoming a formed person is about character development, isn't it? It's about a consistency of behavior. It's about being so shaped in the mold of Jesus Christ that godly behavior is like reflexive. No matter the severity of the storm that batters us, we stay right side up. We stay right side up. And I'm talking to you about this stuff today because I'm on the very same journey that every single one of you are on of becoming a formed person. I am not fully shaped in the mold of Jesus Christ. Newsflash, I'm not. What we have here is a very common everyday banana, right? And uh, I'm going to peel this banana. Oh, look at that. Ooh. It's a banana, right? I picked up this bunch of bananas yesterday over there at the big Rose Hours grocery store. Nice store they've got over there. These are Dole bananas from Ecuador, number 4011, printed on the little label on there. I don't think they're organic bananas, unfortunately. But uh, you peel it back and, well, what do you know? It's a banana. Hmm. little mid-sermon snack. Sometimes I get a little hungry up here. Now, would you raise your hand, please, if you were surprised at what I found when I peeled back the peel of the banana. Raise your anybody? No? Okay. Yeah, nobody was... Oh, there's, a, there's somebody back there. Like, oh, what kind of bananas you got at your house? Coming over. Now, you might have been surprised if I had peeled that peel back and there was like cherries in there, right? That would have been kind of cool. You're kind of like, whoa, how do you do that? I wouldn't have told you. Or what if I peeled the peel back and there was like a rat in there? I might have yelled, thrown it at you guys would have caught it. But here's what happens. And this happens to me more than I like to admit it does. Maybe with you too. Lots of times, see, when the temperature gets turned up in my life, when the storms come, you know, like when my kids do something that ticks me off or when my wife does something that ticks me off, it's hard to believe, but it happens. When I feel slighted by someone when someone disagrees with me or when I get tired and I get short on patience or when maybe the best way to say it is like when life happens to me, right? When life happens. What so often happens when life happens is that my spit shine self gets peeled back and it gets peeled away. And real often... I'm like surprised, and not surprised in a good way either, of what's going on beneath the surface of me when you just peel me back a layer. I'm surprised because I go like, really? That again? Not that. That gross thing is still showing up in my life. I I felt like I was all done with that. I thought the Lord and I had bolted on an awful lot of ballast so that that didn't happen anymore. And it's then, and this happens to me a lot, maybe it happens to you too, it's then that I realize that I have a long way to go 
to become the person that God intends, the person God created me to be. An awful long way to go. And that's true of every single one of us sitting in this room today, isn't it? None of us sitting here today, right now, is finished when it comes to our spiritual formation. None of us is done becoming the person who God has created us to be. And so it's in that vein that I'd like to strongly encourage you, I'd like to invite you to please give some very close, some very special attention to the God component of your life in the coming new year. And, and you could start that like today. You don't have to wait for the calendar to turn in the number of hours that it'll turn, whatever that is. You could start today to pay very close, very special attention to the God peace of your life in this new year. Because see, nothing is more important. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more relevant to our everyday life than the God peace of us. And there are myriad ways for that to happen around this place. Myriad people around this place who would be delighted to help you in that process. All you have to do is ask. Just ask. And one part of Journey's role in helping all of us with that spiritual formation process is something called Reveal. And Reveal is a 20-minute online survey that we've been invited, Journey Church has been invited to participate in, along with about 500 other churches around our country. And this tool is specially designed to help us understand how we as a church are making progress collectively in our spiritual lives, and how all of us can partner together to do that much more effectively than we are right now. This is a totally anonymous survey. The results are compiled and evaluated by an independent outside professional consulting group. Your name is not ever attached to this in any way. And here's how this thing works. You'll hear me talking more and more about this in the coming weeks. The group sponsoring this survey is going to pass us an online survey link around January 10th. We'll send that out in an email around January 14th. We'll keep it open for about two weeks. After we've emailed that to you, and if you're not on our email database, you can use that card that's on your chair and get us your name and email address, and then you would be able to participate in this. We'd ask you then just to click on that web link that'll be in the email we send out. That'll redirect you immediately to this 20-minute survey. It's just 20 minutes. I took it on Friday afternoon. And we'd ask you to do that sometime between January 14th and January 27th. And it is our sincere hope that every person who considers Journey Church to be their home will participate in this survey. Because, see, your participation will help us get a much more clear picture of the dynamics of spiritual growth and how we can further assist and support your spiritual progress, all of our spiritual progress. And you kind of go like, why, why would we survey spiritual growth? Why would we do that? Jim Collins, in his runaway bestseller, Good to Great, lots of you have read it, says that one of the qualities of an outstanding or a great organization is knowing and responding to what is actually going on. He calls it living in the real world, right? Around Journey Church, we're keenly aware that lots and lots of the church, capital C Church, isn't particularly great at living in the real world. But around here, we think we must be. We, must also, we also think that we must be creating and developing a culture that is constantly challenging and constantly assisting people in their personal growth and development. 
We want all of our tools, we want all of our ministries to be successful and fruitful, to actually fulfill their mission and goals. We don't just want to be doing stuff for the sake of spending money and passing time just to say we're doing things. But for that to happen, for us to keep that stuff on the razor's edge of effectiveness, it takes regular, sensible evaluation, regular, sensible retooling, regular, sensible innovation to keep that very healthy process alive and well. Your participation in this survey helps us gain clear insight into what practices, what activities are most catalytic for our congregation's spiritual growth. It's going to help us gauge very, very well what the best strategies are for helping us achieve our spiritual growth goals. Your participation will help us understand how we all progress spiritually, how we can create ministries, how we can create structures that actually feed and foster that progress. So just stay tuned. I'll be talking to you a little bit more about that in the next couple of weeks. And I just want to say, thanks in advance for taking that 20 minutes to complete that survey. It will have a clear payoff in the life of our church over the years, days to come. The last thing I want to talk a little bit about today is what we're calling point number three on your outline, personal spiritual growth planning. Personal spiritual growth planning. Around Journey Church, we're absolutely convinced to the core of our being that the church exists to help facilitate action and progress in our spiritual development. We think that personal movement and personal growth, personal change, we think those things are indicators of spiritual health and growth and life. One of my early ministry mentors was always telling me that my spiritual growth chart, if we were to draw it out, I don't like have one, but if we were to draw that out, was not always going to stay steep up and to the right. It's not going to be a constant chart up and to the right. It would on occasion, maybe like during a spiritual growth spurt, look like that. But very often, our personal spiritual growth charts would resemble a good mutual fund chart, right? That just tracks steadily up and to the right with some peaks and valleys, kind of tracks with the stock market, right? Like precipitous drops are not good, just in case you're wondering. But like just slow, steady, up and to the right. That's how our spiritual growth ought to be tracking. Peaks, valleys, steadily up and to the right. But see, very often in the church, we equate spiritual growth with just knowledge, don't we? If you were to ask most church people how they've grown spiritually in the past year, you're very likely to hear a list of the sermons that people have listened to, Bible studies they've completed, books they've read, classes they've attended, when in all reality what research is showing us is that very little of all that data and all that knowledge that we take in, as good as the sermons are and the Bible studies are and the books and the classes are, very little of that ever makes it into real action real life change inside of us. But spiritual growth is not just about simply adding more knowledge. It's a piece of it, absolutely. But it isn't just about knowing more. Spiritual growth, rather, is ultimately about God's preferred future for us. God's preferred future for us. And He has one. God has a preferred future on our spiritual growth chart. He has it in mind. Look at Proverbs 29, 18, if you will. 
It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another way to say it, where there is no vision, the people languish. People stay in park, see. So often we fail to grow spiritually because we never fully grasp God's preferred future for our spiritual growth. And you go like, well, what is vision? Well, it's just that. It's the preferred outcome, a preferred future, a course that's perhaps different than the one we're on right now. And I'll say it again. God has a preferred future for us, every single one of us individually, for our spiritual growth and development. It's in his heart and it's in his mind. And he makes it available to us. I've been working on my personal spiritual growth plan, a whole list of things that I think God is prompting me to change in this coming new year. I'm not calling them resolutions because I know how those go in one year, out the other, right? So personally, I'm working on this whole list of stuff and I just want to unfold just like one piece of one thing that's on that list that I'm working on around personal spiritual growth planning and it has to do with prayer, my personal prayer life. I've talked to you before about my pattern for my devotional time, my Bible reading and prayer time, right? I start my day almost every single day with it. I spend roughly the first hour of every day reading my Bible and praying and I type my prayers on my computer. I sit at my desk and I type my prayers. Almost every word I pray in that setting, I type on that computer. Now, I also pray throughout the day. Like, I'm capable of praying without my laptop with me. As the Lord prompts me, I'm sending up what some people call flare prayers and such. Circumstances I'm in and stuff that I hear and Holy Spirit nudges. Lately, though, I've been pressing into some scripture I've been pressing into some reading where I've come to see on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not so good, 10 being very, very good, my prayer time and my prayer life are hanging out on that scale somewhere like maybe a 2 or a 3 or so. That leaves plenty of room for improvement, doesn't it? Room for growth. And so for me, what I'm tapping into is that I think... I'm coming to understand that God's preferred future is a more vibrant, more interactive prayer life that's maybe a little less rigid, less programmed, and more fluid in 2008. And I would like to be able to sit at this time, one year from now, and be able to objectively evaluate my prayer life and see that it is measurably improved. And so I go like, okay, that's the goal. I want to improve, amp up my prayer life. I don't want to be a two or three one year from now. From now, And so how am I going to get that done? And honestly, it's going to take a whole lot more than me just reading a nice book on prayer to get that done. Just for trivia's sake, I counted in my office this week. I have 12 great books on prayer on my shelves. And I'm like, man, those are... Those are going to be great and those are going to be helpful. But in all reality, for my prayer life to amp up, for my prayer life to shift, I'm going to have to put much more weight on that than just a book or two will provide. So how am I going to put more weight onto that task? First, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to invite some people into my life who I know are masters of prayer. I'm going to ask them to help me make these changes, make these improvements in my prayer life. I'm going to call them my prayer coaches. And I'm going to ask them to walk me through increasing and amping up my prayer life. 
After I've selected those folks, I have a couple of people in mind. After I've selected those folks, I'm going to sit down with them and I'm going to ask them to help me lay out a path of execution that's going to take me to that desired outcome, to that preferred future of an improved prayer life. And to lay down that path of execution, I'm going to ask myself about seven questions with help from my prayer coaches. The first one is this. What are the goals as far as my prayer life goes? What are the goals? And we're going to drill down inside of that. We're going to get even more crystal clear than just an improved prayer life. That's because that's not clear enough. It doesn't, it's not measurable. It's not attainable. What are my goals? Specific goals. It might end up with me writing a little vision statement for my prayer life in the next year. Number two, what has to happen for that goal to be achieved? We're going to evaluate what has to happen. Number three, when do I need to do each of those action steps? We're going to make some space in my world for that to happen, for my prayer life to become better than it is today. Number four, what's the order that those action steps need to occur? We're going to move some things around. This should not be number one. This should be number one. This should be number five. And we're going to work through that towards a path of execution. Number five, what resources do I need to bring those actions into reality? My prayer coaches are going to help me with that. They are resources, both of them. They might say, hey, you should read this one book and you should be thinking on these passages from the Bible. What resources? Number six, we're going to remove the barriers to those actions occurring because there are barriers, right? There's stuff that's going to try to get in the way. There's stuff that's going to try to keep my prayer life from being improved and we're going to do everything we can to remove those barriers. And then number seven, we're going to clarify again the precise outcome that we're working towards. We're going to make it crystal clear and razor sharp. Because see, very simply, I'm going to invite some people into my life who are going to help me make a plan and then I'm going to ask them to help me work that plan out towards an improved prayer life in the year 2008. And the reason I'm talking about this today is because I want to invite you, every single one of you, to be thinking about that very same process when it comes to your own personal spiritual development in this new year. Ask yourself the question, what is God's preferred future for your spiritual growth? He has it in mind. It just doesn't come from me standing up on this stage telling you that your preferred future should be X, Y, or Z. Some of it can come that way, yes. But God has put stuff inside of you. God is speaking to you saying, this is your preferred future. Here it is. And he's painting a picture of it for you. It's there. And then number two, who do you know around this place who is living that out right now? Who is living out the picture of your preferred future that God has given to you? Tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, would you help me with this piece of my personal spiritual growth? They would be delighted to help you. And number three, what would the path of execution look like for bringing that preferred future into reality? Just make a plan. This isn't rocket science and just follow that plan out. It's a hilarious thing because we all do this, especially in our professional lives. We're always making plans and then working a plan, aren't we? But then when it comes to, and this is true of me too, then when it comes to our spiritual growth, we, we just like show up for church and walk out the door and go, I'm just not growing spiritually 
What's my deal? Well, because coming to church is not a path of execution in and of itself. It's a piece of it. But we've got to add more weight to it for change to actually occur, for spiritual growth to actually take root and take place and unfold in our lives. And you're going to hear a lot more about this stuff in the coming weeks and in the coming months throughout 2008 as we roll it out in some different venues and some different ministries around here. And I just invite you to think along those lines. What is God's preferred future for your spiritual growth in this new year? Some of you might be living it out right now. Some of us, though, might be like, well, I haven't even thought about that. But what would your life look like one year from now? What would be different? What would be improved? What would be absent from your life? How would you be more shaped in the mold of Jesus Christ one year from now? than you are today. I'm going to ask you if you would please to take your things and set them aside and I just invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads and would you just speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart and your mind. You can do that now, please. And as I stand up on this stage, I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would for the next few moments. As I stand up on this stage, I don't have any idea the condition of the God piece, the God component of your life and your world. You and God know that. That's between you and Him, really. But maybe as you sit here in this room today, you know that you have yet to take God up on His offer of salvation to you, which is like the starting place for a personal spiritual growth plan with salvation. I want to tell you today, before the calendar turns into the new year, you can settle that once and for all, and you can settle it right here and right now, and you can do that by acknowledging how incredibly much Jesus loves you, how he died on the cross for you to be the one and only savior of your soul, and you can choose right now in this moment to put your faith and your trust in him as your savior by the blood that he shed on the cross for you. And if you'd like to settle that today, if you'd like to make that declaration today, I'd invite you to express that to God by praying along with me this prayer right where you're sitting. You can pray like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have but today, God, I realize that you are perfect and you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. God, I believe with everything in me that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend. God, I want you to change me. God, I need you to clean my life up, please. And starting today, God... I make you the boss and the king of my life. And you know, if you prayed that prayer just then, that's the biggest decision of your whole life. What a way to start out a new year. And it's such a big deal that around here we actually ask people to tell us when they've made that decision. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now, if you would. If you prayed just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you be so bold as to just slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? You can do that right now. Just slip your hand up and 
make eye contact with me, make sure I see you. If, yeah, you right back there. Way to go. What a way to start the new year. God's changing you right now. Be anyone else? I want to miss anybody? Yeah, you right over there. Way to go, man. God's changing you right now. Good for you. God, thank you so much that you have a preferred future in mind for our spiritual growth and development. Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for that preferred future to be realized. Thanks for not just leaving us to our own devices. Thanks for not letting us wallow around in our sin, God. Thanks for saving us from that. And thanks for setting us on a course of spiritual growth and development, God. We want our lives to be marked by a whole bunch of ballast weight beneath the waterline of our lives so that when the storms come, we're ready. We're able to contend with it. Stuff doesn't wreck us, God, because we're centered and we're founded, planted in you and on you, rooted in you, God. Root us deeply in you this year. And may every single one of us in this room, one year from now, look back and recognize the tangible changes that you've made in our lives. Things that are different, things that are added in our life that glorify you. Things that are subtracted from our life that don't bring you honor. Sin that's done away with, God, because of what your Holy Spirit has done in us. Give us courage and give us strength for that journey, please, God. Change us and shape us so that we might look more like your son, Jesus.